Hello everyone and welcome to Placing Faces, the show where we get to sit down with some of the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the entertainment spectrum. I'm your host, Charlie Chappell, and today we sit down with casting director Corbin Bronson. Corbin has seen and worked in a lot of different areas of the business. He went from an agency to a management firm, learned the language of actors and all about their day-to-day lives before moving on to work with casting directors and finally becoming one in his own right. And after all of that, he's worked on some amazing projects as a casting director, including Monk, Revenge, Lucifer, Eureka, and most recently, Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. We got a chance to chat with him at the Collaborator office in the Hollywood Hills amongst the sounds of birds chirping and some nearby home renovations. Corbin is a guy who is mindful of what his work is and means. It goes beyond a paycheck and some boxes to tick off of a director's wish list. I couldn't help but be impressed, and I think that you will too, so I hope that you learn as much as I did. So you have a one-year-old. Are you exhausted all the time? I do. Uh, honestly, it's much better now than the, the first few months are the, are the, are the worst okay. by, by far. So and you're it, easing into it now. Yeah, yeah, it's just it, super easy. It goes from super exhaustion to, you know, uh, trying to get him to sleep. And once that happens, it goes to making sure he doesn't hit his head on things. And now it's mostly <laughs> trying to make sure he doesn't choke on stuff. That's pretty well, much luck. the progression of the one-year-old so far. Is this the, is that your only kid? Yeah, that's it. One years uh, old. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I suggest it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take note of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, just jumping right in, let's talk about your beginnings. Yeah. Uh, how was it that you got involved in the entertainment industry in general? Yeah, and in in general, I was I was going to school in Mississippi at Ole Miss, and I was a, I was a broadcast journalism student. And uh, I loved it. I did a lot of college radio, and we had a channel that we get to Memphis, and it was it was a lot of fun. Saw a ton of music, and uh, I kind of realized pretty quickly that the path and the path was going to be did well, and I can maybe get a job. Hopefully, cross my fingers in you know uh, Paducah. And then if I did really well there, I, I might move to Tallahassee. And if I did really well in Tallahassee, I could maybe get a job in Birmingham. Or I just saw this kind of long road, which is amazing. And people build these great careers, but it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I uh, you know, had a decision to make. And I, I found a film school in San Francisco that made a lot of sense to me. Um, a, a private little film school there called the Academy of the Arts and moved and just up and moved and went to San Francisco and didn't really know anybody and um, kind of dove into that. So and, did you finish yeah. your degree at Old no. Miss? Mm-mm. Okay. No. Yeah, I, I think I did seven semesters, six semesters, I guess, and then realized that this wasn't really what I wanted to do. Okay. And went to San Francisco. And I put in another year and a half there I think and what I learned in film school was there are a lot of things that didn't interest me necessarily just as important to know as the things that do interest you yeah I don't I didn't really care that much about lighting and I I really didn't want to be an editor and all of these things you do when you go through these courses Um, but one thing they really encouraged is to get a summer internship um, and so I, I knew one person in L.A. 
uh, an uncle. Well, I mean, not really blood uncle, play uncle, I guess. Mm -hmm. The person that your family always tells you is your uncle, but isn't really. Um, And he he was a cameraman on The Price is Right. So I called him and I said, I said, I want to come out there. I'll, I'll figure it out. But do you know if CBS Television City has any kind of programs or anything? And so he looked into it and said they do and said to call this person. And I ended up getting an internship for the summer uh, on The Young and the Restless. Okay. And I had never seen a soap opera before. Uh, but to this day, it's still some of my family's favorite thing I've ever worked on, right? <laughs> they love their stories. Um, but I, uh, it was actually a super big blessing. And really what got me into casting is because it, it, it was a program where you spent a week or so in every department. So you'd spend a week on set, you'd spend a week with the director, you'd spend a week uh, following around a cast member, you'd spend uh, a week with a casting director. And um, in those days, it was this lovely woman who's not with us anymore named Marilyn O'Loughlin. And uh, the associate is Marnie, was Marnie Sonata, who's a very big daytime casting director now. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of took to me a little bit. We got along, and it wasn't just a week with those guys. They would pull me in. I was there five days a week, and they would pull me in when they had auditions, and I would be a reader. And uh, they really helped me understand a little bit about how casting works. Um, and then on my very last day, I, sometimes I would give set tours. And there was a set tour of these two two women, and uh, I was chatting with them, showing them around the sets. And one of them was Victoria Burroughs, who's a big-time cast director. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she had a friend in from out of town that loved the show, so she set up this tour. And Victoria, uh, and the reason I will always sing her praises, is um, she's like, so you're going back to school? I was like, yeah. She's like, how did you like it here? We talked about casting. And uh, I said, I, I think I maybe want to do this next year. And she's like, well, listen, here's my card. Next year, you know, call me if you want, and maybe you can enter in my office. I was like, okay. I'd been with her like 15 minutes on this tour. And an entire year went by. I never called her. I didn't you know, know that. And I got back to L.A., and I bring her up and said, hey, uh, I gave you that tour last year. And she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, do you still want to intern? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, come on in. I was like, awesome. So uh, I interned there for a little bit, and then I ended up uh, uh, working and interning for the head of casting at New Line Cinema. Mm -hmm. And that was the next summer. And that kind of turned into a job, a real job. So I never went back to San Francisco. And from that day on, I was in in it. What were some of the contributing factors coming out of uh, a communications and, and coming out of Mississippi yeah. that made you think entertainment industry, making movies, making mm. television? I, I can't say I was a former actor. I definitely was involved uh, in the theater scene in Kansas City. Okay. And I was involved in the improv comedy scene in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, where I grew up. Um, I worked at uh, this place called Comedy Sports, which uh, they yeah. had some in the... In the um, That's but, where Comedy Sports started, right? Uh, I believe it started... Oh, I should know my Comedy Sports trivia a little better <laughs> than this. I want to say, like, Wisconsin. But okay. uh, they do have they have huge... Yeah, for years and years, they had a huge presence in Kansas City, um, as well as Chicago and these other cities. Okay. Um, and there was a, just the most amazing comics there to be around. And I was 16 when I started. Um and towards the end, it was like me and Jason Sudeikis was there, and like, you know, all of these really talented, funny Kansas City people. 
so I think that knowing enough actors, and even though I've never really considered myself one, um, I, I really liked, I really liked the community, and I liked helping people, and I thought that the reason I ended up liking casting at YNR was because I understood the other side of it a little bit. Okay. And so I think I knew how to kind of talk to people and I, I knew how I could help. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of these other crafts, I didn't really know how I could help. Okay. Because you had that, you you shared a, same, a similar language yeah. to the people that totally. you were working with at that point. Okay. Yeah. So how did you end up at Old Miss then? Uh, it wasn't MU or KU. That that's how I ended up okay. there. And, and and the girls were really pretty. And I went on a visit, and I was just like, I have to go to school here. Um, okay. But really, I just had to get out of. Not for I mean, Kansas City is honestly. It's first of all, it's much cooler than it sounds. I didn't have a cow. I, you know, it's 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 a really it's a really cool city. Um, you do have to let people know yeah, that if you're I, from because I'm from Northwest Arkansas. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I went yeah, to school uh, at Rolla. Yeah, I, I'm sure. very familiar you with know, Kansas City. Yeah, most people have cows. Yeah, of so. course. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, as as much as it is when you're 18, you just kind of want to go and do something. And so Mississippi made sense to me at the time. Okay. Yeah, but there's a lot of Arkansas people there. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We we all like to at least stay in the South. Exactly. I, I got away. I yeah. Far. If I was kind of the same as you. I yeah. had to get away from yeah. that whole thing. I actually didn't gra- – I, I went six semesters to college as well and then came out here for film school and just stuck it out. But um, So transitioning out of that, the the internships that you were doing – summer to summer mm-hmm. what sort of things were you working on as an intern at so that I, part of your career yeah so um you know i i would say the the longest i was any place was new line cinema and i was there probably six months a few of those were paid a few weren't and uh, i think i even lied about my i don't think i really got college credit for that I mm-hmm. keep, it was you know 1998 sure. and i kept thinking like I'll just tell them the facts is coming. The facts didn't come. That's so weird. <laughs> I'll call them back. Um, you know, meanwhile, I'm there six months. And um, we did, you know, we would actively cast a movie or two. Um, Valerie McCaffrey would actively cast a movie or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did like American History X, and she's, you know, pretty amazing uh, casting director in that. And respect. the two that you were. Not With quite. Her. So yeah. So this is actually uh, the Bachelor and Detroit and Rock Detroit Rock City. City. Detroit Rock City. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so those were the first two. Those were the first two major films that you had worked on. Totally. And you were as assistant. I was a uh, intern. Intern. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was uh, uh, an assistant a little bit later um, on after those were already cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we would oversee everything else. So it was everything from like Austin Powers two to blast from the past to love that movie. you know blade something <laughs> uh-huh. or, you know uh, it was a great summer though i mean you get to go to something about mary premiere and got to you know all the, it was a fun time at newland cinema nice introduction into 100 the big leagues yeah and most importantly something i really want to touch on which will lead us into this next thing is mm-hmm. uh the associate there her associate for years was uh a guy that's unfortunately not with us anymore named joe adams and he really took me under his wing and really was fairly hard on me mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a very loving way um, and 
taught me everything I needed to know, kind of, to be set up to go get a job. How important was that aspect of it? Somebody who, like you said, was lovingly hard on you, who expected, because to me that says they expected you to act accordingly, get shit done, and and be on top of your game. How important was that early on in your career? Because I think that very few people get that sort of reinforcement early. Yeah, um, super important. I mean, he... um he, you know, not t- taught me all the obviously all the technical things that needed to happen to just be an assistant, not to necessarily be a casting director or anything like that, but just to support a casting office. Um, but then just some work ethic I didn't necessarily professional work ethic I didn't necessarily have mm-hmm. coming out of college, um, from phones to scheduling to you know all of these things that you just don't know they don't teach you necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, and so. His his input and his, you know, writing I think were incredibly important. Then he would do things like you know, take me and buy me dinner because he knew I didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like things like that. So it was. So it was, he he took care of you absolutely and helped usher you into the world. No, that's that's yep. that's I think that's an important thing in the idea of having some sort of mentor, um, and even later on in your career, kind of giving back like the people that gave back to you, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I think that there there is a cyclical nature in the entertainment industry that a lot of people don't really talk about. Uh, because when you first come out here, everything seems very at arm distance. Nobody really wants to let you into their group. It, it mm. feels like, because everybody's got their own thing going on. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, those, those few people who do reach out and, and say, hi, let me help you out. I know what you're going through. Yeah. I went through it too. Somebody helped me out. I think that that's a, a really beautiful like thing. People at their core, most people want to teach you what they what they've learned mm-hmm. um, at some point in their lives, um, entertainment or not. And I think that that definitely is a big thing in casting, and it has to be because you can't go to college to become a casting director. Uh, I think there's maybe some sort of course at Syracuse or something I keep hearing about, um, but it's not going to set you up to necessarily get a job in mm-hmm. casting at this point. And there should be more, you know, it'd be awesome if it was some sort of curriculum and something, you know, I think that would be amazing. But the way it was done when I came up and the way it's done a lot of times now is you, you get your foot in the door and then you learn from everybody else. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, they're ha- the casting directors are just kind of built that way. Well, with that idea of getting your foot in the door, do you have any advice for young up and coming people who want to get into that casting world of how, what, what is a way to get your foot in the door? You know, I mean, in, in those days it was interning and, uh, you know, you still can intern for college credit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places that would love it. Um, if, if you're going to, I would say you can't, you can't be there on Tuesdays and Fridays from three to six. Like, that's just not going to get it done. Okay. Um, people aren't aren't going to know you well enough to give you anything to do. People aren't going to... You're lucky if they remember your name if you're there six hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way to do it is to, to be there five days a week, as many hours as you can, and only expect, if you do a great job, that maybe they'll pick up the phone or maybe they'll give you a letter of recommendation and... You know, to get experience out of it. I yeah. think that's that's do the, the thing. work, get the experience. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then other people, you know, come in from different careers or uh, maybe just straight out of college and get assistant jobs because, you know, they have some interesting things in college on their resume or you guys really hit it off in an interview. Um, I've, I've hired a lot of people, you know, coming up. Um, but thankfully, a lot of them I was with for a long time. I mean, we had a associate for six years, I think, and we had a, and we'll often use the same group of four or five or six people. Not because we don't want to necessarily hire anybody new, just because we took that hiring so seriously. Yeah. And they're great. And so, of course, we're going to try and use them. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to a little bit earlier on in your career, you worked on some pretty amazing films. Well, yeah, we're very early. Um, so I, I uh, and we don't, not that we're going chronological, but I, I was lucky enough to get a couple jobs uh, in television and learn a little bit about television. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had asked enough people kind of how the things that they would do differently or how they built their career. And one thing that always kept coming up is try to know every side of the job. Super I, important. Yeah, super important. Which every There's other sides of casting than just auditioning actors. And one of them is what happens on the other side of the phone when you call an agent or a manager. So I'm 22, 23, and I worked a couple years in casting. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go spend like six months at an agency just to see what happens. when I, I didn't never wanted to work at an agency. Um, I was on hiatus from some television show. And instead of going out and trying to find another casting job, I'll do this agency job wasn't particularly great at it. I mean, I don't think you, you know, jump in for six months and do anything that well, but I kept my head above water and um, still have a great relationship with those people. And I came away knowing so much more. I had so uh, a much better idea when I picked up the phone and it was an agent or a manager, what they're going through on their end. And it made, yeah. it made me a better casting person, honestly. Um, and so then I did the same thing with a management company and I worked f- with a management company for another six, eight months, something like that. Um, and besides, that was a super cool management company, by the way. It was called uh, Propaganda and uh, it's, <laughs> it's defunct now, but it was uh, Steve Golan's place before he opened Anonymous. And um, my the cool thing about it was the management company was only like four or five managers and they had Nicole Kidman and Matthew McConaughey and all these fancy people um but there was all these amazing directors there too so my office was next to spike jones and uh, awesome. was there and fincher and it was uh i mean michelle gondry and uh, romantic it was it was just it was crazy um, you were around like the artists oh, yeah, of yeah. that yeah. that's amazing yeah it was it was a great time to be there what sort of lessons did you learn in the agency and in the management company that, that then translated into what it is that you do? Um, I think that uh, I probably had a better understanding, especially from the management company, of actors' day-to-day lives. Um, you know, it's the, the lines are so blurred now, and we could spend the next 15 minutes on this subject, but the way it used to work, and I thought it used to work pretty well, is uh, agents have a lot of clients and you talk to them every few weeks or whatever they have a deal to do for you and that's kind of your relationship a lot of times with your agent and managers uh, had a handful of clients and they talk to their clients every day for the most part Um, how did that audition go I read that script I think I think this about it Um, 
and being on a micro level that much in, in these actors' lives because I was the assistant to this manager. Um, it really gave me a better idea of, uh, I don't know, just uh, uh, what's going on in, in that world that way when I got back to casting, I, would, I could do my job better, basically. And what sort of? Um, and, I don't know. And, and we don't have to... I was just more empathetic. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, it wasn't about my little bubble of, of casting. It sure. Was, it was. You more got a, about, You got a view outside the cave, and you saw. Okay, that's what they're going through. So maybe I shouldn't be. Yeah. As hard on that for this, re- but absolutely, yeah. I may be having a bad day, or I may, but they also probably are too, or you know, sure. yeah. I, and I know, you know, uh, I can tell. Um, you know, people always ask me if I if I see, you know, a lot of like actors that bomb or something like that. It's like, no, at a certain level, like everybody's usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are more right for the role than others, but there's just very few people that come in and absolutely bomb. And the ones that do, I could now tell, like they're having a bad day. Like this isn't sure they didn't come in specifically not prepared. Mm-hmm. Something else is going on in their world and just being so young and casting being a lot of my life experience that's a lot what i learned on the other side of the phone okay yeah Yeah. so some of the other things that you worked on early was the remake of the planet of the apes not the newest iteration but the early 2000s so yeah so i got it after i left the management company uh, denise champion uh, Mm -hmm. had asked me to work with her um was there about a year or so and it was great i mean yeah we did uh that Planet of the Apes movie, um, Minority Report, yeah, yeah, The Minority Hunted, Hunted, which is yeah. a very underrated film. Thanks, in my yeah, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, it was um, really uh, as involved on The Hunted as anything. Um, yeah, and it was an interesting time because Benicio had just won the Academy Award, for yeah, Traffic, and this was his next movie. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it was a big coup, I thought, to to get him. I mean, it was. <laughs> Um, I, I know they paid him, and, uh, and he was great. And uh, but we read, you know, we read a lot of people before Benicio mm-hmm. came on. Um, I think Tommy was always attached, from what I remember, but it wasn't always Benicio. Okay. So yeah, we read a lot. Did you know the the high level that you were working at at that point? Oh, definitely. Yeah, Denise had done Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And she had, you know, you know, she had. Uh, had amazing, amazing movies. We spent, you know, uh, months on a, uh, a movie that Gore Verbinski was going to direct and then ended up, uh, the writer's strike happened and then, uh, it, it was catch me if you can, except it was, uh, uh James Gandolfini instead of Tom Hanks hmm. and Gore Verbinski directing. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And when it came back, Spielberg was directing and Tom Hanks was attached. <laughs> um, and we did... Uh, I cannot imagine the Gore Verbinski version of that movie. Yeah. It was right after The Mexican. Okay. And that was kind of leading into um, that. That's the reason that kind of that was all heading that way. Yeah. Before Pirates. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I just... To, to be able to work at that level so early in your career, did you feel like you were skipping any steps? Not necessarily, because you it's 8 o'clock at night, and you're the last person there, and you look around, and there's 
literally probably 15 mail crates that need to be open before tomorrow. <laughs> and it's all paper submissions no in those days. No steps skipped at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, uh, this is an amazing job. I'm very lucky to have it, but I'm, I'm, I'm working for my money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I loved you know every, every minute there. And it was, it was super high level with people coming in and a lot of very, very famous actors. And uh, to her credit, people mm-hmm. that, more particularly famous at the time that are now huge Academy winning superstars, you know, that uh, were coming in and pre-reading because that's the, the level of taste she had. She just yeah. knew it was going to be them one day. Well, and, and speaking of tastes, yeah. uh, I think one of the things that I, I do like to highlight uh, about all of this is the idea of taste. Yeah. Um, because that that is one of the major things that a casting director brings to the table. Yeah. Where do your tastes come from? So you definitely take a little bit from everybody. I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I think I've worked for 20 casting directors Mm -hmm. coming up. Um, and they all have, uh, you know, similar in some ways, but they all have their own identities and their own tastes. And you have to form your own too. You can't just say, Oh, my boss thinks this is the best actor. So that's who I think is the best actor. Um, at a certain point, you kind of have to have your own opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the uh, interesting part of the job is because you can work for uh, director A who thinks that actor X is the best actor of our generation. And at the same time, you can be doing a movie for director B who thinks actor X is absolute crap. Mm-hmm. And, they're, yeah. and they're both right. <laughs> sure. You yeah. know? And so that's the, that's the interesting part of the job is not only having a point of view and having your own taste, that'll get you so far. But when you're hired, it's your job to bring that director, to learn their taste a little bit, hopefully, bring them exactly what they're looking for, and then bring them things right and left that they didn't know they wanted. Okay. And it it takes, uh, I feel like, a wider view to be able to do that. And that's what casting folks, I, I think, do really well. What helps you learn that? What helps you learn about other people's tastes and how to kind of curtail even your tastes towards what that other... Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it's just, you know, hopefully if it's like a, a series and it's a showrunner or something, you'll be able to just spin session after session with them learning their taste a little bit. But sometimes it's a it's a pilot and yeah. uh, you have to kind of get in there really quickly and... Um, you, you Sure, you do some research and all these other things, but you have to kind of have your own you kind of have to bring them who you think is best for the role based on the three drafts of the script you've read and conference calls and creative conversations with them and everybody else about specifically what they're looking for ask as many questions as you can um, and then take all of that information and try to hopefully bring them what you think they're going to like mm-hmm. okay yeah. if they, and if they don't then you do it all over the next day and and adjust from sure, there. Sure, sure. Okay. What sort of questions are you asking of them to try to suss out what uh, it is they're looking for? And I know that it, yeah. I know it changes project to project and genre to genre and and even episode to episode probably. But yeah, what sort of things are you trying to get from them? Maybe just stuff that's not necessarily on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think a super important part of a casting director is, you know, if I have fifteen roles to cast in an episode. 13 of them, 12 of them are going to be co-stars. You know, there's not going to be 15 guest stars. That's like a, a mini series or mm-hmm. something. Um, 
so a lot of these co-stars aren't necessarily going to be as, as fleshed out as some of these other big roles. So I may have exactly what I need on some of these guest stars that are 30 pages of 60 pages or something. Um, but some of these smaller characters I, I need to know more about. And I can take a guess and I can kind of bring you what I think might be interesting. But I'm going to ask you about it and see if you have any thoughts. And if I can be a casting director and suggest, why can't this person be a little older? Or why can't this person be a woman? Or why can't this person, you know what I mean? That's part of a casting director's job, too, is to think outside the box. Um, and how often do you get a chance to actually think outside the box? Is my, yeah, as much as you can. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, listen, maybe it's just a, a, a person or two in a session of, you know, 10 people or something. But... Again, that's bringing them people that they didn't know they wanted. What, uh, how do I want to put this one? Because uh, I've gone completely off my notes now. <laughs> now I'm just very curious. Um, so when you are sussing out what one of these characters should be, and you're not given a whole lot of information, that allows you the ability to kind of play a little bit. Yeah, and sometimes we'll keep it, a, not vague on purpose, but we won't, uh, you know, guess on a lot of stuff and we'll let actors you know do what they do so brilliantly is to take this cryptic breakdown in these two pages and bring them to an bring them to an audition or their ideas to an audition and that allows you to open it up to multiple ethnicities well, yeah, to different genders to to all sorts of different things and I think that the thing that I'm trying to get at with this is the idea of um, not just casting diversity for diversity's sake, but the idea of bringing diversity into the entertainment industry more so. Mm-hmm. We've had conversations with other casting directors about how important it is that you guys do think about diversity. 100%. And I, I, I wish it maybe was happening more on the writing level. Okay. Um, sure. So we didn't have to be the, the kind of backstop. Uh but when it isn't, we'll be the first people to jump in and, and try to usher it that way. Are you seeing more and more productions, directors, producers open to the idea of, okay, well, maybe that doesn't have to be a mid-30s white fella? Sure, absolutely. We're on these calls every episode. Then we'll, uh, a lot of times, you know, you'll be shooting out of town and you can't have everybody in one location. So you'll set a conference call and uh, it's usually the day the script comes out. Everyone will have read the script and for the casting portion of this call, we're going to go through person by person and we're going to add anything you need me to know about this character or something. And when we get to one that's not particularly fleshed out or one that literally could be some other, could necessarily, it maybe is written like male doctor and he says this and he says that. And so we're going to bring you some options and show you a couple great ladies that we have in mind too. And they'll be like, great, no problem. Um, so I, again, I kind of have to step back to early in your career. Uh, your first TV casting credit uh, as a casting associate was on 2003's Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Uh, episode 1.1 and 1.2. Yeah. Four-hour miniseries backdoor pilot. Yeah. So uh, it was either if it was good, it was going to go on the air. <laughs> uh, it was going to be a series, and uh, maybe it was just going to live as a miniseries if it aired at all. Um, and it was good. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great. I mean, I, 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 having seen Queen of the Damned and knowing Michael Rammer, like I, I knew, I knew it was going to be good. Yeah, I, I just visually, I, I, I got it. We, it was an interesting time because there was 
other property. Like there's a whole Richard Hatch, like mm-hmm. Battlestar plan. And there was, you know, uh, and it wasn't, uh, even though there were multiple people wanting to make this thing, it wasn't a flashy, uh, a flashy property. It, you know what I mean? People sure. Like, sure. Battlestar reboot. Uh-huh. Go for it. <laughs> like, um, and we had a lot of people not show up to sessions and, just, really? They just didn't know what it was going to be. They didn't know, like, and how could they? They just knew the the show from the, the you know better, yeah, for better or worse, and yeah. what they thought about a reboot, and and that was what we had to deal with. Um, but yeah, I worked for Eric Dawson and, and Robert Ulrich. They were the casting directors, and mm-hmm. um, they just brought in amazing, amazing people. And that's uh, it can be absolute a blessing and a curse sometimes. Or I think the blessing part of it is that you. Sure, maybe these famous people uh, early on aren't buying on for whatever reason. So what we're going to do is bring you actually really good working actors that are happy to come in and want a job that we just think are super talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Katie Sackoff, Jamie Bamber, James Callis. You know, uh, I feel like that was Eric and Robert's way of you know obviously just imparting their taste on, on the show, but sometimes casting a famous person to cast a famous person is letting the tail wag the dog. Yeah. And that is by far the least interesting part of casting to me. Anybody that has IMDb can sit and make a list of famous people. It takes a casting director to find the right use for them or to um, realize when that's just overcasting yeah. at a certain point. Have you or- ever, seen, ever seen a movie that's has 20 of the most famous people in the world in it and it's a terrible movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean we were we were actually talking about it a little bit before and we can actually go into this subject now of yeah. uh the term comes from Broadway, right? It seems more a Broadway term, but the idea of stunt casting mm-hmm. of bringing in famous people because or or somebody who has a big internet following sure, to sure, sure. perform a role because that's going to help get the money that either needs to be made for the film the the idea of stunt casting do you think that that ever works out well, the way I, that they intend it to i don't know i like i i've i've seen it work i've seen it work great and i we can talk about this next um but w- i think where it came from obviously is you know sweeps so mm. uh you used to get a call from the studio and the network and November and May. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, uh, let's get somebody famous for this next episode. Uh, sweeps. Okay, <laughs> um, got it. Twice a year, we'd have to do that, and it was great. And it was fun. It was fun to do, actually. Mm-hmm. And it slowly built from there. Okay. And it, then all of a sudden, there was off-cycle pilots, and there was just year-round casting, and then summer, and all of these things. And then there was kind of no sweep. I mean, there still is sweeps, but not in the in the casting way that it used to be. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, when I, I worked on Monk, it, we would use it like uh, it was fun. Like mm-hmm. it was fun to have Stanley Tucci and it was fun to have Alfred Molina and John Turturro and Dave Shatheran. And, you know, I could go down the list of all these, Steve Zahn, all these amazing people that would come do the show. Most of because I wanted to play with Tony. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, you know, you know, when a show lasts eight seasons, this week on Monk, so and so, yeah, like it, it doesn't. It means something. Mm-hmm. But 
I, it was never letting the tail wag the dog on that show. And do you see more of the tail wagging the dog in, in modern, I guess say modern, but like I, You know, recently? I know I see people like, uh, it happens a lot in movies, I feel like, especially like independent movies, you know? If we only had this famous person, then this would be a good movie. Or we can get the money to make the movie. Yeah, or I don't know if I want to see that movie. There's no famous people in it. Yeah. I bet it's probably still good. You know, it could be a still a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see that a lot. Do you see that coming down the pipeline when you're trying to get jobs as a casting director, where they're saying we really want a super famous person for X oh, role? Oh yeah, or... you need somebody for the box cover. That's the big, you know. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, we need the, the we need the picture on front so sure. people will click on it on Netflix. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. they're not going to click on it. Sure. Yeah. Does it generally open the doors that directors think it will? I don't know. I, I think sometimes maybe it just helps you, uh, you know, get some more financing or get distribution or, you know, maybe it does help in these other ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then our job as a casting person sometimes is to find the most famous person we can that it's going to do it for the money and use them in the best way that, for the film. Does that sometimes change what the film is? Not necessarily. Like we put, um, uh, so for years and years, I had a lovely casting partner named Elizabeth Barnes. And together we did this movie, Woodlawn, and mm-hmm. we put uh, John Voight as Bear Bryant. Super famous guy in a smallish movie, but I wouldn't call it stunt casting. I think it made a lot of sense for the well, movie. I totally agree, because I watched Woodlawn last oh, night, well, there actually. You go. Yeah. And, so that's and he casting. was... I, I, I mean, I, I could see how it could be deemed that, but I agree with you. I don't yeah. think it was stunt casting at all, because he was... Bear Bryant. He was that famous coach, he, and he played it beautifully. He played it within the bounds of the movie extremely well. It wasn't, oh, that's John Voight. He's in this movie. Why is he in this movie? Right. Yeah. Um, you know that movie also has Sean Astin. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. College football. It just it, it it was actually a really really good movie. Um, and for being, I'm assuming probably not a super high budget film it, 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 you could see it on IMDb like it definitely costs some money yeah but, because it know, because it's a period piece it's yeah. set in uh, 1972 it's basically 73 yeah it's it, and it's, it's the true story of the Woodlawn High School yeah. when integration started yeah and the football team has to come together where there are black people mm-hmm. and white people yeah. on the same football team and nobody's very happy about it mm-hmm. until Sean Astin shows up and introduces religion to these boys yeah. in the South and they come together through it. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, it's a do- well-documented story of this chaplain that would come through and mm-hmm. try to help where he could and, um, and sports was an easy kind of way to, to, to have everybody in the same place with the same goal and try to get them on the same page and, and do that. And uh, it really follows the story of this one player um, who went on to play for Miami and uh, kind of his his journey, but he, he was part of all of that, yeah. And that was Caleb Castell yeah, who yeah. played Tony Nathan. Played yeah. him really, really well. Really well. And he, um, you know, we read a ton of people. We read people we... Uh, you know that I think would have been great at it but one thing that uh, Caleb had even though he didn't have a big acting resume um, is he comes from that part of the world he played football at Alabama um, he oh he played at Bama yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. He played, yeah he played football and he could just embody it in a, in a way that necessarily other people couldn't well and that was that was going to be one of my questions yeah, yeah, yeah. is the considerations that you take when casting 
such a physical role too, because yeah. some of those he's taking hits. He's 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 in there. I know sure. that you're switching out for stunt guys and some of the stuff. There's a lot of running. But, there's a there lot is. of move, a lot of moves. A lot of you know, um, yeah, and having somebody. It's it's just a it's just a, an extra thing. I feel like a lot of times I feel like the movie could still get made and still be good without somebody with necessarily those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to shoot around them as much, and you don't have to do these. You know. And they did a lot of really well executed football sequences. Yeah. Throughout that entire movie, there's some there's some really spectacular stuff in there. Yeah, they used that, a lot of a lot of. But real players and you yeah, know. the hits just and the the the, the choreography of all of it the, uh, and the movement of the camera throughout that movie, I think they did a really good job of of capturing what it feels like to be out there. Yeah, it's and it's 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 a beautiful movie. I really you know I'm super proud of it. I think to getting to your point though, there's this. Uh, <laughs> You know, actors have all these special skills, right, on their resumes, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and we 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 read them, um, and uh, you'd be surprised how many people put you know football, baseball, you know things they've done in their life, um, and you probably probably won't come up in auditions until it does. Mm-hmm. And um, we I did this movie Undrafted, um, uh, Joe Mazzello's directing uh, debut, um, awesome cast. It's like. I'm not gonna remember everybody off the top of my head, but it's Aaron Tavay, um, Chase Crawford, um, Tyler, Tyler Hecklin, Hecklin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, Duke just, Davis, Roberts. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I totally crashed this set by accident one day. Oh, did you? <laughs> Out uh, up north where the where the baseball field was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just boys everywhere. Um, <laughs> and, anyway, but it's just it. Uh, I could keep going on on the people that are in it. Uh, awesome cast. Uh, Billy Gardell from uh, Yeah, from Mike and Molly's in it, and uh, James Belushi's in it. Uh, uh, I forget. I'd have to look at the, the cast, but they uh, Jay Hayden, who's amazing in it. Um, anyway, but it's a story about the summer league baseball team, and sure they're not pros, but they play this competitive baseball game, and it's pretty much the story of this one baseball game. And so we read a lot of guys. It's this, you know, it's 12, 15 guys on this team. Um, and they need to play some baseball. Sure. And, and a lot of them say, yeah, yeah, I played. And we'd have to say in high school, in college, like how many years. And we could kind of get to the bottom of what's going on. And some people were super honest and said, listen, I, I played a couple years in high school. I, I could go to the batting cages and be okay. But then at some point we had to get them out to the batting cages. And we had to go to a field and 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 catch some balls and stuff and you'd be surprised how many people had put on the cleats in a while (laughs) (laughs) until you until you make them um but yeah it's it's a fun movie do you see a lot of uh strange weird odd little things in that special talents section of yeah. the... Yeah, you know, it, we, we keep an eye out a lot for, you know, things that will come up, uh, you know, at, accents or languages is always, you know, always comes up, I feel like. Uh, ASL or, you know, and there's all these little things that, that people, special skills that people have that will come up. You should put all that stuff down there. Any that, drive a stick is any not that, that you're impressive. you're really tired of, <laughs> say, like, yeah, drive, drive a, a stick, stick is not that impressive. Um, <laughs> Gives great hugs. Not that. Not yeah. that impressive. Sorry. 
Um, so I wanted to talk about another one of your movies that uh, people may have not heard of. Um, it's a movie that you actually recommended in our pre-call, Music Within. Yeah. Um, this was your third feature that you worked on uh, as a casting director. Um, director Stephen Swalich. First off, I have to ask, why is he not making more movies? Yeah, right. People should be throwing money at this guy. Well, this movie was incredibly well directed. I could not agree more. It, and the, I'm, it's, I'm actually it's, getting a little emotional now thinking about this movie because it is a very, very emotional movie and it's, a it's so beautifully funny. directed. Well, film. Thank, uh, thank you. I, I, the funny thing is, I had lunch with him yesterday. You and did, I, and, I, and I haven't seen him for uh, a while. I mean, we're buddies. I mean, not we weren't buddies before this, uh, but we're friendly. And uh, I had just went on. Uh, somewhere on Dish Network the other day, and it was on TV, like MGM Network or something. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was having lunch with them, and I was like, I'm going to watch some of this movie again because I haven't seen it in 10 years probably. And it's really well-directed. It is and the really music, well the music is really good. Um, it's And their performances. Well, yeah. I mean, you've, yeah. Got, you've got Ron Livingston, Melissa George, and Michael Sheen yeah. gives a performance as a character named Art, who has cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also a genius. Yep. And his performance is just, it's heart-wrenching at times. It's hilarious mm -hmm. at others. Ron Livingston is just... Yeah, kills it. He's great. He's really, really good in this movie. Yeah, uh, Carl Zondo, Rebecca De Mornay, um Yeah. There's a. Uh, it was it was really fun to cast, and we had you know we really took our time. And uh, one thing that I did on this movie that I don't do on every movie, and I'm happy that I did. Um, it shot almost entirely in Portland, Oregon, and I had a couple months off from Monk, and I went up there, and I lived December and January '05, '04, and '05 um, in Portland, and I cast forty plus roles up there. Awesome. Um, yeah, I just got you know the talent. I would have like open calls, and anybody that you probably didn't know from LA is from up there. What prompted that? I had the time off, and they needed somebody. Okay. They're like, do you know any local casting in Portland? Um, and I, I'm sure I did, but I, selfishly, I kind of wanted as much to do with this movie as I could because that's I really believed in it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I'm not really let it really willing to let it, uh, it go right now. I kind of want to keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went and did that. But um, interesting thing, obviously, um, you know, you bring up Michael Sheen, who, who plays somebody with, with CP. We, we did read a lot of actors with CP. You did? Yo, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was important to us to really cover... Uh, in the movie, it's all about the formation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And, you know, it, it was important to the film, obviously, to have as... Uh, many people with disabilities in the film as possible and I feel like we did a fairly good job with that mm -hmm. um, but also to, to cover this acting pool of, of someone with CP and we got close a couple times but it, it just it didn't exactly work out the way that we had hoped uh, the best intentions and I remembered um, well I, I'd seen Michael in, uh, in Amadeus uh, when it came through LA and just remember him just being one of the best actors I'd ever seen and uh, he ended up repped by somebody I worked at that management company. He was uh -huh. his manager. He was a client there. And he was still in London, and he hadn't been to America uh, to work. And 
we had enough lead time on a movie where we could get somebody their working papers. Um, okay. So that's what we did for Michael, or what the production did for Michael, was uh, they got him his visa and paid for it and all this stuff, and he was able to come out and do this movie. So did you offer it to him? Like, what... Uh, walk me through the timeline. Uh, yeah, of it. So yeah, did you were, did you audition adult some people with CP oh, yeah. first? Oh yeah. And then after you had exhausted that, you continued on and started. Okay, well, who else could do this? Mm-hmm. Did you audition him? Did you? No, I think it was just a conversation. It was okay. showing some tape he'd done. Um, you know, several several movies at that point. Um, and making my director familiar with him and just making sure he saw what I saw in him and also having conviction on my end um, saying like I know we've read a lot of guys but I think this is the guy you only have so many of those with a director you know every guy can't be the guy (laughs) but hopefully (laughs) yeah yeah. but hopefully you know um, you have the kind of relationship and and Steve to to his credit was the, the kind of person that would he hires you to do your job He's going to let you do your job. Great. And he, so you think this is the guy. Tell me why. Let's have a serious conversation about it. Um, and then I think they may have just gotten on the phone and, and, and talked at length and they got along. And, and then uh, that, we, I think we started casting that in August. And I think we hired Michael in like November. Okay. So it was, it was a search before him. Yeah. So with that, and, and, and you bring up an interesting point that the, the beginning of the casting process starts well before they're they're shooting oh yeah, yeah. And especially so, with something like this so hopefully on a movie you'll have 10 12 weeks okay which is uh which is nice i mean some movies you don't some movies you know up front you have four weeks mm-hmm. and that's then that you have to make that happen it usually takes as long as you have mm-hmm. but on a, on a pilot you know you're supposed yeah, to have, you're supposed to have 10 weeks okay but you're supposed to. You're right? supposed to, uh, yeah. according to. Uh, the that's what your deal is done for. Okay. Um, yeah. So you'll have it's a ten week deal and. And is that to cast? That's to cast the pilot. Yeah. Okay. So you'll have you know the, the, these ten weeks and, uh, but yeah, I mean you'll end up casting a pilot in two, three, two, three, four weeks maybe. Okay. Yeah, because everybody's casting their pilots also. Uh huh. And so, so everybody's yeah, fighting yeah, each other yeah, for yeah, resources. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really thought about that oh, aspect of it because yeah. you're all fighting over. Well, as an actor, it doesn't seem like the resources are limited, but mm-hmm. from a casting director's perspective, when you're like, oh well, this person could do it. Shit, they just got hired on that show. No, nope, can't do that. Who else? Yeah. yeah you got to. There's there's a lot more than just okay. Well, I've got an idea for this person. Let's yeah. go ahead and put that out to that person. Exactly. And but you know you'll get it done. And then in our television, you have eight days or seven days, kind of depending on what your prep is. And that's if the script's on time. Uh huh. <laughs> and then maybe the script's <laughs> not on time, and then you only have four days or whatever. But so that's when you're into the series. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So that turnaround, you you're. You're working basically. So, so uh, for instance, like with Monk, Monk, uh, mm-hmm. Monk was a f- hour. That was yeah, and that was a comedy eight, eight drama show. Eight day turnaround mm-hmm. for each episode. Yeah. It ran what eighteen episodes a season? Uh, About you're you're almost I think sixteen to eighteen. Sixteen to eighteen it somewhere in there. Swapped every now and again. Yeah. How long is that process then? So you because um, with you, one of the things that I found really interesting that we could get into um, is. You, with Monk and into Little Monk, you went from uh, the, the job title of casting to casting associate to casting director yeah. all within the same show and then went on to be a casting director on 
the yeah, spinoff show on yeah uh, yeah and and then had um, so yeah so the the way that it most simply works um, and I think works the best is you are uh, a casting assistant until somebody hires you to be an associate hopefully that's after a lot of experience and hopefully you're qualified to be an associate but then once you are you you are and you can join the union now and you know I, I spent two years uh, on this committee to unionize one of the most things I'm proud of the most in my casting accomplishments because there wasn't uh, casting directors didn't have a union yeah and still you guys are under the now we're Teamsters you're under the Teamsters yeah. union so in 06 we uh, they were they were amazing to us and we found the best home possible and now we have you know pension and health and all of these things that most other most other crafts have yeah and you know i we gotta get you all that oscar though right well, exactly. <laughs> that's you know that's i couldn't agree more there uh but i remember having a conversation with somebody else that was on the board and she had been and we had a, a this amazing guy steve diane oversee us and from the Teamsters and he had been in the business exactly as long as she had. They got in like the same month in the same year hmm. and he was now as a locations manager fully vested and had health care for his entire family and a pension and this other woman on the board that had been in the exact same amount of time had what she'd saved, you know? Yeah. And so that's the difference between being in a union and, and not at least in our, in our case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I, I, so you were on the board that helped make that happen? Yeah, well, I was, on, I was an, the associate member on the board. Okay. Yeah, so we worked really hard on that. Um, but I will say that the way it should work is you're an assistant, you're an associate. An associate, uh, hopefully you're not necessarily doing as much assistant work. You're now uh, doing a lot of the facilitating of schedules and agents and deals, closing deals, and also kind of being doing some casting director work because that's the idea is if you, the next step is to be a casting director. So hopefully that casting director will have prepped you as much as they can and given you as much responsibility as they can so that you can do the job on your own. Um, and that's, that's what happened with Monk. So I came in as an associate, and I was an associate maybe for two seasons. And then Anya Koloff and Amy Britt, who cast the show, um, they started the end of season two and then cast with me until the end of season eight. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, you know, basically saw enough in me and knew that I could do it to kind of do all the day-to-day stuff on my own from there on out. And then I was a casting director with those uh, with, with those ladies and did another 60 episodes or something. Then what I was going to say, what sets you up after that is you have a casting director credit so you can hopefully have your own clients to try to get your own jobs. LA is full of amazing, talented casting associates that can do the job, but you're only a casting director when somebody pays you to do it. Yeah. So it's getting that first client that's hard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but Monk was in am- amazing, amazing in a lot of ways, and still great friends with all the guys. Do you have any recommendations on, for associates who are struggling to get that first paid yeah, casting director gig? I would say you know, and some some people don't want it. Some people are happy, totally happy. They have, they work for a great person, and they feel well taken care of, and um, that's the path they want to be on, and that's awesome. But if you do want you know, 
your own shop and the, the good and bad that comes with it. Um, I would say, uh, you know, try to do as many, you know, a boss approved side projects uh, as possible and really, you know, do your friend's movie and do, you know, get in there and uh, make these things happen on these shoestring budgets and, and know what it's like not to have the fancy name of your boss attached. Yes. Right. You yeah. Know? Um, and hopefully you're going to make some contacts and hopefully these directors that you work for on their AFI thesis will also do something one day and they're going to want to repay you the favor and they're going to call you and then you're going to have clients. Um, you know, don't, don't mess with your boss's clients, find your own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's what I, that's, that's the way to do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great advice. I yeah. mean, I think that advice kind of goes for everybody in this industry in general. If you're an actor, go out and make a thing. If you're a director, mm-hmm. go out and make a thing. If you're a casting director, help somebody make their thing. Definitely. It's, it's, it, it seems oversimplified saying it that way, and maybe it is a little oversimplified breaking it down that far, but I think it's important that you understand that nobody's just going to give you anything out here um and and you're going to have to work for it you're going to have to prove yourself and the point that you were making earlier about just the idea of showing up as as a casting assistant or an associate and really putting the work in um you know not just showing up for a couple hours here and there nobody's going to care if you show up for a couple hours here or there yeah if you're the person that they can rely on then they'll care then they're going to give help you find the opportunities that 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 are available. Yeah, 100%. Um, so a, a couple, I, I want to hit a couple more things. One thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Eureka. It's one of, I love Eureka. Uh, I, I had a chance, years ago I worked on a documentary called Showrunners, mm-hmm. The Art of Running a TV Show. Sure. Um, and it, it was this wonderful film where I got to work with uh, the Irish Film Board and uh, an Irish director by the name of Des Doyle, wonderful human being, who just loved television. And we spent a lot of time going around and talking to all these showrunners. Um, and a lot of the work that I was doing with them was down at Comic-Con, mm-hmm. where we were going to Comic-Con to meet up with these showrunners to have conversations with them to shoot that there. And to really highlight the fact that showrunners are kind of becoming rock stars. Writers are uh, people yeah, people really as, care. For the most part, as they should be. Absolutely. I think they, totally agree. They wear all the hats. Yeah. And I got a chance to go to, Bill Prady has a party down there every year. I got a chance to go to that party, and I'm sitting there, 24 years old, giddy, that I'm having a conversation with Jordy LaForge and Data. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. And then, you know, there's a couple guys who are standing beside us. Um, Jack Kenny, who was the showrunner for Warehouse 13. Okay. And Jamie Packley, is sure. that how you yeah, say his last definitely. name? Yeah. Um, and... They talked to me, which mm-hmm. at 24, in this industry, walking into a bunch of rooms, still going to auditions at the time, doing all sorts of stuff, oftentimes people don't talk to you like a normal human being. Yeah. And both of them talked to me like I mattered. And that was one of the first times that I had run into anybody in, in that uh, air of position that treated me human. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of blown away by that. And it, it took me going back home, and then I binged both of those shows and still love those shows. Yeah. So <laughs> after all of that, Wait. you came into Eureka in season four. Uh, I did two seasons of the show. Three, three. I did so the end of three and four? 
I did all of three and four. You did all of three and four. Yeah, if I remember okay. correctly. Yeah. What is it like coming into a show that has already got its main cast of characters? Because you're, you're adding a couple sure. characters per episode here and there, but yeah. what is that like? Um, it's you have to do your research, and I watched the first couple seasons, mm-hmm. and before my interview, I watched the first couple seasons, and <clears throat> kind of come in with how you how you can add value, and that's that's a lot about the interview is about like how your point of view, um, how you think you can help, basically. And I sat in Jamie's office, and we had a conversation about it, and uh, I think, uh, and, and my partner at the time, Liz Barnes, was with me, mm-hmm. and. We just we're on the same page about a lot of things about how we um, the tone of the show uh, is very specific and we I think we understood it and we were able to articulate that back to him and Bruce Miller um, who now you know he was the other co-EP on the show which mm-hmm. he, he's doing okay for himself yeah he's doing all right um, <laughs> and uh, enough where we got the job and. I think that you know our tastes kind of were right away. Oh, right away! I added James Callis. Yeah, you, you did. know what I mean. I was Which, like, uh, I'm curious yeah. because of your experience early on with Battlestar. Is that how that connection was made yeah. in your mind, at least? Yeah, yeah, it was. And well, also you know one of the uh, other producers, uh, Todd Sharp. I had uh, on the studio side. He was at Universal. I'd worked with on Monk, and then he went on to Battlestar. And so he knew James that way too. Okay. So when I brought it up, it made a lot of sense to him. Yeah. You know, I knew I was bringing it up to him, so mm-hmm. he would he would have an opinion one way or the other. Because this this that's beginning of season four where they time travel back. Yeah. And James exactly. Callis is one of the people who helped start the town of Eureka. Exactly. And is wonderful as this like old timey American uh, dude. Uh huh. Well, and and I think that that to me that what it, what was interesting about that is. The fact that there are people that you meet early in your career that you may not have anything to do with for years, but then it clicks and you're like, oh, that person would be perfect. Yeah, and that's a lot of it. It's it's making relationships, um, even if they're just you know very professional relationships. It's uh, casting directors have these crazy memories. Um, that's the one common thread. I feel like you're going to talk to a lot of casting directors through this process, and I feel like one common thread is the 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 kind of memory it takes to, to, to be good at it. Um, and what do you, what are the things that contribute to that memory? What I, you know, it's a little bit of a learned skill. It's something you have to absolutely work on and focus on. Um, but not only do we remember, not only do we remember that you're an actor, but we remember when we met and we remember who your agent is and we remember mm-hmm. how your last audition went and we remember, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that's not what people think happen. No, um, they don't. They but, have absolutely not. They, I, but they think that, I've, why would they remember me? I was one of 200 people that walked into that room that day. There were 12 people out in the hallway that looked exactly like me. But you're remembering those things. Uh, all 200 of them. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And it's something that uh, is very helpful in casting. It's also very helpful in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, be at the, I'll be at the grocery store and uh, I'll be like, oh, Tom, how are you? And I'll be like, oh, hey, um... I'm sorry, we've met. I was like, yeah, at, at your audition last week. <laughs> uh, that's not a, that's not hyperbole. Like, yeah, that's a fairly common occurrence. Yeah, 
So, correct me if I'm wrong, did you recast a character in Eureka as well? Sheriff Andy? Was he a character oh, sure. before? Uh, I think that was Canadian casting. Okay. Um, and Corinne Clark and Jennifer Page, who are two of my my favorite Vancouver casting uh-huh. people, um, that's where the show shot. And they, yeah. They kill it up there on that. Um, but I think that was them. Okay. Um, so, I think the last little bit that we'll get into is... A project that you're currently working on that I know you can't say too much about yeah. um, but you're working with Marvel yeah. which is yeah. super exciting yeah and I'm, you're working on uh, Marvel's cloak and dagger which is uh, I did the I did not do the pilot I did the series okay and uh, it's it's great can't wait for people to see it were you familiar with the property before a little bit I was not uh, not a huge comic book kid but I was familiar enough um, that I knew it was a book from the 80s and I, Mayhem and any you know, of these types of things. I, I kind of knew the broad strokes. Um, and so it made um, the interview a little bit easier because I could talk about it. Yeah. Well, and this is the second property that you've worked on that was kind of based out of graphic novels. Yeah. Yeah. I did the, you know, Liz and I did the pilot of Lucifer, mm-hmm. uh, DC property. Um, a little bit of a different. Uh, experience there but yeah it was still based off of uh yeah because because that property lucifer um which i got into and am now kind of hooked on oh good a little bit it's a fun show i love that i mean that cast we put together is uh, yeah i think they're all great they're really good together the chemistry in that show that they play off of each other and i'm not i'm not really familiar with the i'm I'm familiar with neil gaiman's work uh, with sandman Mm -hmm. i wasn't super familiar with this one but Tom Ellis is Lucifer Morningstar. Uh, Lauren German is Chloe Decker. Sure. Their relationship is really, really wonderful. Did they have that coming in, like, early? You know, they, they didn't because they, you know, I think we after we cast them, we sent them to dinner and I just hoped they got along, basically. <laughs> but uh, we, the show, I think, is a good example in a pilot um, of not stunt casting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure, Tom did a USA show that kind of quickly went away, and from what I remember, he was good on it. Lauren was coming off of one of the Chicago properties, um, but as the seventh lead or, or whatever, you know, and it, they weren't these offer-only famous people. Like, they, they came in and earned earned the roles. It was our job to try to take the puzzle pieces of these. You know, there's a lot of people that came in on that show that I thought would be great, but specifically these two people and the puzzle fit together. Mm-hmm. And I tried to take, um, you know, the interview, the person that hired us was Tom Kapanos. And I tried to take Tom's writing, and it was written so specific. And I knew that these two people would work together, basically. Yeah. Then, so with his writing, was his writing specific about? Lucifer as well because well it wasn't written it wasn't written British okay yeah it was written American and we read a lot of Americans yeah and it was I'm sure other people might take credit for it but the way I remember it it was a casting decision from Liz and I to start bringing in British people Mm -hmm. and or people with accents basically saying that we saw the value of how this could work He's already the devil. Why not make him otherworldly yeah. from nowhere, basically, and somewhere that's not America, uh-huh. you know? Um, <laughs> and, and why and how that could work and why it could work, and that's the way we ended up, mm-hmm. you know? 
I mean, I, th- I think it was a great casting. We were talking a little bit about it earlier, um, you know, being that this was based off of the spinoff of the Sandman series. Yeah. Uh, Maria had told me that the artist had asked the author what he wanted Lucifer to look like. And the was like author, blonde, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah, author yeah. said David Bowie. I want yeah. him to look like David Bowie. Um, so the the sort of things that you take into even with with Cloak and Dagger, I know like mm. again, I know we can't talk too much about that one, but when you're working off of a property that is already pretty well established, how much does that color things and and keep you from coloring outside of the lines of what it's already created? I mean, I, I think that not only from a casting perspective, I think that when you make the series, I I don't know if it follows a comic book exactly you know you have to hopefully the you know bring some other things to it um i think that you know when we we cast father delgado from you know from the book and and we weren't we were always going to cast a hispanic priest Mm -hmm. um we weren't going to change that up um why would we and that's the way it's written and so yeah of course some of those mile markers we absolutely follow Mm mm-hmm um, but then when we can change things up on, maybe we'll change things up on age instead. You know, maybe it won't be this Edward James almost priest. Yeah. Maybe it will be this 30 year old way to go. Mm-hmm. It won't be, you know, uh, uh, Max von Cito from, you, you know, it'll be this younger, inter- more interesting or not any more or less interesting other way to go. Yeah. So is there anything you can tell us about Cloak and Dagger? Uh, other than um, other than Olivia and Aubrey are amazing, and their chemistry is off the charts. Yeah, and I would watch it just for that. Great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, good. Um, I think that that is more or less. I've got I've got more questions, and we could probably go on for hours, but I don't want to take up too much more of your sure. day. Uh, is there anything that you want to promote that you're working on right now that you're doing? No, right I now? think you know there's always stuff coming up, but I think that you know everybody just watch Cloak and Dagger and enjoy. And uh, thanks for you know looking at so much of my past work. You don't get into. I'll tell you one thing, and and maybe a lot of casting people may feel the same way, but a lot of people necessarily don't say it. But you don't get into casting for the thank yous. They rarely come. Um, so it's so nice when you have somebody that's actually interested and wants to know about how you came up and uh, how you ended up being the cast director you are today. It's it's cool. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And thank you. Of course. For, of course. for taking the time to come in today, but also for what it is that you do, uh, because it is a very, very important part of the process of filmmaking that all too often gets glossed over. So... That's what we're doing here. I appreciate you coming in. And you have an absolutely wonderful evening. All right. Cheers. And there we have it. Corbin Bronson. Check out his work all across the internet. You can find Cloak and Dagger on Freeform or Hulu right now. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share the show with as many people as you can. Tune in next week when we chat with Robert J. Ulrich casting director of fan favorites such as Supernatural, Glee, Battlestar Galactica, Shooter, and tons of other projects. Not to mention his stint on the Glee project. Glee definitely changed my life. And that is 100% I owe to Ryan. And working with Ryan, which was just wonderful because the way Ryan works, it's kind of like Ruben. If he trusts you, he trusts you. And with Glee, I felt so in sync with how he I knew what he wanted, and so it made the casting 
so easy and so fun because I knew in 99% of the cases who Ryan would choose. I'd, I'd position him first, but that isn't why he chose him. He chose him because I knew that, you know, because I knew what he wanted. Placing Faces is powered by Collaborator.com, a media production service connecting media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs. Video professionals find work and companies save money. We'd also like to thank our partners at the Casting Society of America for helping to introduce us to so many of these wonderful casting directors. They also serve as a hub of information about this branch of the filmmaking industry. So if you want to learn more about the society and what it takes to get into casting, you can visit www.castingsociety.com If you have any other feedback for us we'd love to hear from you. What casting directors do you want to hear from? What films and TV shows do you want to know more about? Thanks for listening.